Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. With Capel University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So, uh, Jimmy Wells, founder of Wikipedia, you just came up here from the UN, and I have to ask, what were you doing at the UN? Um, well, this morning I just popped by a session. It was a session on, of women leaders. Um, Cherie Blair gave a speech. It was a lot of uh, first ladies, mainly from Africa. And, and you. Places. And, <laughs> well, it was a large lecture hall. I sat in the back and tried to be inconspicuous and listen in. Why, why did you go to that? Um, well, I just they they invited me, and it looked like an interesting uh, session. And uh, the the one in particular that I was interested in is uh, uh, oh dear, I'm gonna some this is a bad plug for them, but I liked their project. No mothers die. I think that's what it's called. No mothers die dot org. That's a that's a, a worthy cause. It yeah. sounds like. So, yeah, it's <laughs> no one could disagree with that. Eternal mortality, <laughs> right? It's pretty universally most people. Uh, you may think uh, a friend of mine, a Saudi Arabian friend, she said, you know, maybe people think. We should have more children, less children, whatever. Pretty much nobody wants them to die in childbirth. So it's a very easy global issue that everybody can get behind. So. You, you can't picture a Wikipedia-style uh, argument of editors, you know, going way deep on, on this oh, issue. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Because, I mean, you can always, for an issue, you can say, oh, it's a great issue, but... Uh, is it the one we should really be focusing on and what's it going to cost compared to other things that might be more economical and save even more lives and whatever. I mean, there's always that type of argument. I have no idea what the facts are in this case. but uh. Well, it seems like you do. Well, let's reel it back a little bit. Wikipedia, and I even want to reel back further than that. How did you, I mean, you've created, I don't know if it's the fifth largest site in the world, the sixth largest site, there's different numbers all over the place, you created one of the largest sites in the world, clearly one of the most used sites in the world. Where where do you come from? I, I don't know if you like comic books, but I always enjoy knowing the secret origins of the superheroes. <laughs> so where did you come from? I know you're from Alabama, uh, yeah. and you, you, got, you graduated high school early. Yeah, yeah, from Alabama, uh, quite a geeky kid kid and uh, did graduate early, although I didn't skip grades, I just started early. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother and grandmother ran a small private school and I just went to work with my mom and then just started kindergarten um, early and just mm -hmm. kept going and, and that was that. Um, but yeah, it's actually interesting because I think <clears throat> a lot of my worldview uh, and personality I can see now being shaped by various factors in my upbringing. So uh, 
at that time, uh, of course, in Huntsville, Alabama, where I was growing up, is where the Space and Rocket Center is. And after World War II, they brought Werner von Braun and all the rocket scientists over. And it was where the, I didn't know that. They, they all lived in Alabama? Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. They brought them to Huntsville huh. uh, to do the scientific development of the Saturn V rockets and, huh. and sort of the moonshots and all that. And so um, because of that, the space program was like our hometown sports heroes, you know. And so growing up, I mean, where I grew up, sometimes the windows would rattle in the house when they were testing the Saturn V rockets uh, mm. nearby because they're they're quite powerful and we live close enough that it would rattle the windows. So you have that kind of a memory. And so it led me towards a scientific and technological kind of upbringing. Uh, but then again, it is still Alabama. Uh, it's not, um, it's, a, it's an unusual place, Huntsville is kind of a, an oasis because m- many, many people are there from other parts of the country. Uh, but still, it's very polite and nice, and I'm a nice person. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that <clears throat> personality uh, trait does come from sort of a very southern hospitality kind of perspective. Uh, so, yeah. So, do you think that, I mean, so you refer to yourself as a nice person, and Wikipedia almost feels like a different sort of well there's there's an obvious way it's a different sort of site in that you're not having a 200 billion dollar IPO so that's <laughs> that's been brought up yeah. Uh, infinite times with you in interviews. We don't have to go over it. Clearly, Wikipedia is a, a, a great and free thing, and it would ruin it if it somehow had ads on it. Like, no one would use it. But where do you think, you know, obviously at some point you wanted to make money, and then you that this switched. And uh, and I'd like to think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, that it came from just the, the beauty of seeing something you create grow so organically, I think that provides much more pleasure in some ways than just seeing a bank account grow. And I may be wrong or right. I don't know. No, no, that's, that's, that's pretty good, actually. I mean, the thing is, um, there is no sense in which I am opposed to making money. I think it's, you know, there, well, there are dishonorable ways of making money, so it never should be the most important thing, but I think an honorable way of making money is a great thing. Um, but for Wikipedia, it really is almost like... Um, Uh, an artistic statement. I mean, it's something I think culturally is very special. Uh, It says something upbeat about human beings that people will devote a huge amount of time um, and passion trying to get it right and make it better and share with other people. Um, And I don't mean to be too utopian about it. We have our internal quarrels and squabbles for human beings. There's definitely internal dystopias Uh, within Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but actually, what's interesting about those, when, when they're going well... Uh, you can have quite a heated debate, but with a real sense of respect and also that, hey, we're all working together trying to make Wikipedia better. So at the end of the day, let's honor that. But, it doesn't always go well. Obviously, sometimes people just get nasty and, and it's ugly and hopefully they kiss and make up a few days later. But uh, which, which sometimes doesn't happen. But I think that's interesting, too. Like when the fights by their nature are also interesting, because if you view history as written by the winners, Wikipedia is different from that in that Winners and losers, if you want to call them that, are both there equally <laughs> yeah. sharing their opinion and information. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, this, this you know, history written by the winners, um, you know, tends to talk tends to be a statement about economic and uh, more importantly governmental control of the history curriculum and so forth. Um, whereas now it's written by everyone. History is written by the Wikipedia because of Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Um, you know, you get really interesting people from all sides of a question. Uh, hopefully, 
we get nice people from all sides of a question so that we have a civilized uh, discussion and not just screaming at each other. But, you know, some issues are quite emotional and, and it's hard for people. Yeah, and, you know, emotional doesn't seem as bad as when it's uh, malevolent, you know? Yeah. So when people are, like, just trashing people's pages for spiteful reasons. Yeah, exactly. But if it's an actual fight over opinions or, or yeah. whatever, that could really... Yeah, the, I, again, the fight itself is history. Yeah, I, I remember... Uh, a few many years ago now, I remember a, a really prominent early contributor who would do fantastic work in, as I seem to recall, biology or something like this, you know. Um, and he was great, very friendly, very nice contributor. But if he got anywhere near Israel-Palestine oracles, he just couldn't behave himself. He just was he was too emotional about it, and in a not in a negative way. It just the issue meant a lot to him, and it was very hard for him to not get exasperated with people and so forth. Yeah, there's probably I you know I was talking to one person about this. There's probably a couple dozen issues where you have to be on one side or the other. You can't even um, you can't even say a balanced point of view because both <laughs> sides then will hate you. Yeah, that's true. There's a there's a few, but I mean you know in general like what one of the things we have a lot of success with is what I call going meta. So you can imagine a a very kind and thoughtful Catholic priest and a very kind and thoughtful Planned Parenthood activist, and they're never going to agree on right. the issue of abortion, but they're able to step back from it and say, okay, look, I understand Wikipedia can't advocate for my position, but we can accurately describe. So we can say, we don't say abortion is a sin. We say, according to the Catholic Church, the following position, and the Pope has written this, and critics have responded thusly. And actually, kind people can do that. And at the end of the day, what's interesting about it is Sometimes the the most ideological people are the most comfortable with that because they just think, look, if you had a neutral explanation of the topic, obviously you would read it through and you would agree with me. <laughs> and it's people who are less certain of their own beliefs. They're actually fearful that they might be wrong are the ones who get nervous about even hearing or allowing the other side to speak because I think they're afraid they'll hear something that causes cognitive dissonance. Uh, That's interesting because both both issues that you just brought up, one was the Israel-Palestine issue, the other is, you know, basically pro-life versus pro-choice. Both those issues involve somebody thinks somebody is killing somebody incorrectly. Yeah. So you would think that those would be violent issues, violently discussed. And I guess in some cases they are, um, but you're saying in sometimes... Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're all right, you know, and, and part of that has to do with um, having enough people in the community who care more about the idea of Wikipedia and uh, the idea of trying to be a neutral place than they care about any specific issue. Well, let's talk about the idea of Wikipedia, because obviously when you started it, it was just a site with a few articles by definition. So how did you get that? I mean, you, you, you created the dream of what every site builder in in the universe wants to create. You you created this enormous viral community, and now you're in the top 10 websites in the world. So what, what kind of do you think contributed to that initial viralness? What recommendation would you have if somebody wanted to have a, a site equally viral? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a few things. So um, one of the interesting things about an encyclopedia is that one article, just a standalone article, I, if you write a good, decent article about, um, I don't know, polar bears, it's actually useful. It's useful even if the rest of the encyclopedia isn't even written yet. It's just a good article about polar bears, and people will find it in a search engine and so forth. So that was... One key is that the site became useful for people who stumbled upon it before it was comprehensive. We've had a dictionary site, and actually, a dictionary is actually not that useful until it becomes comprehensive because mm. um, 
you know, you, you go to a dictionary, you look up a word, and if you've only got 100 words in there, it doesn't really help you that much. So um, I think that, you know, that ability to be useful from day one is really important. And I think, you know, so if we think about viral community like Facebook, people always talk about network effects. It's more valuable the more people are on it. And that's true for sure. But with Facebook, it's actually it's only true for, like, for me, it's about 500 people, mm-hmm. right? It's not it, – the the – Facebook must have added, I don't know, let's just make up a number, 10 million people in the last month. That has no impact on me because I don't even know those people, right? Uh, it's that smaller group. So Facebook was able to be very useful, say, at the Harvard campus from day one because suddenly, well, yeah, I don't care if the University of Alabama is not on here yet. I don't even know anybody there. So that's a part of it is being useful very early on. Um, I mean, another thing that I think is a real factor with Wikipedia is that people um, – they feel that it's a valid use of their time. And they think, gee, I'm spending time here. Should I be wasting so much time on this? And they think, well, yeah, I'm making the world a better place. Um, It's a good thing to do. I could have spent the last four hours um, playing World of Warcraft, uh, but instead I sort of tried to fix all the, you know, uh, incorrectly placed commas across a bunch of articles or something like that. I guess so, so you're saying somehow word got out that here's something useful you can do with your time and mm. kind of geek out on it as well. Yeah, 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 so. exactly. And then also, you know, things like um, it was much more of a prominent and interesting phenomenon in the early days is that if we, if, if somebody makes a link to something but we don't have it, it's a red link. And so you would, in the early days, you would see lots of red links and some blue ones. And quickly by clicking, you say, ah, blue, that means it's there. Red means we don't have anything yet. So then when you're reading, you suddenly go, coffee. Ooh, wait, I know about coffee. No one's written about coffee. Coffee is a beverage. Save, you know. And it was fun. And there was that kind of... So some gamification. Yeah, except this is before anybody invented the term gamification, you know. And I, I actually have a lot of beef with a lot of what goes on under the title of gamification. Um, Why is that? Even though it's like a natural status hierarchy sort of thing? Um, I, I just think in... I mean, so I always concede it just doesn't work very well on me. So mm-hmm. I get it if other people enjoy it. But for me, if you go on, um, I don't know, let's say Foursquare, I think they have points. Oh, you can become the mayor. Actually, I kind of like becoming the mayor. That's kind of cool. I've never done it anywhere, but, you know. But uh, badges and, you know, ooh, congratulations, you just got 90 points. Like, what the fuck do I need 90 points for? <laughs> I mean, there's no meaning to me whatsoever. Oh, you've moved up the leaderboard. Of what? I, it doesn't... I, because it, the, a lot of the gamification doesn't connect to anything real. Um, it only connects to the biology in your brain. Like, so where as mammals, we want to climb up, you know, chimpanzees, you're at one status or you're at another status. So there's any hierarchy you're in, you want to climb up or down. Yeah, but if you, if you think about it, suppose you had a, a job in an organization and every day you had to wear a badge that had a number on it that tells how much people like you or not. That sounds like a pretty hellish place to work. That Even is though, that's work in general, though, your, your job title. <laughs> yeah, but without the badge, right, then you, you can say, you know, it, it becomes more human. Uh, I think a lot of gamification involves putting numbers on things that are – you can't sum up in one number. You know, you can say, oh, you know, this person, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're – Maybe not the most brilliant person, but they really work hard and they're very nice and they're a good team player. And I like that about them. Or you can say, this guy is brilliant, but he's kind of an asshole. And that's a problem because we've got work to do and we kind of have to put up with his 
assholeness to get his brilliance, etc. So you get these complicated human judgments that are very hard to sum up in, um, you know, four stars on a gamification bad. Right. You know, bad. But it, but it seems like it, it, come to think of it, you've spent your life avoiding gamification. Like you've <laughs> gone from I don't think you've ever had like a quote unquote regular job. I mean, you were an options trader for a while. Yeah, yeah that was kind of a regular job. I mean, right, but still, your 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 yeah. ups and downs weren't based on your yeah. job title; no, it was based true. on yeah. you know how your trading was doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, I always say you know I'm very fortunate in my life to have become somehow successful because I'm really quite a bad employee. You know, I just I get up every day and I do the most interesting thing, and that's a problem in life. But it can be also an amazing thing in life, and uh, so you know it it leads to. Um, Issues like, you know, not really having the right constitution for climbing up a ladder, per se, because you've got to do this and that and, and tick all the boxes and so on. And I'd just rather do something interesting. So, so, so you know, when, when it was clear that Wikipedia, uh, it was a bad idea to turn it into for-profit, you did start Wikia, yeah. which uh, is a for-profit company, which yeah. many companies use to create their own wikis and so on. Uh, how's that going? Wikia is doing fantastically well. Um and uh, it's, I mean that's a bit of a misdescription actually. So, Wikia is is not generally companies starting their own wikis and, and things like that. It's more communities of fans. So like Wikipedia for Star Wars. Wikipedia, fantastic. I mean, it's one of the most brilliant. Names My favorite. We ever came up with. Uh, but you know, we've got like the Game of Thrones wiki and and all those. And for video games, obviously, we've got a huge um, swath of those. And it's any communities of fans who want to document something in excruciating detail. Um, and it's doing very well. We're According to Quantcast, we're ranked about number 20. Um, so ah. Pretty popular. Uh, well, have you ever... Is there any kind of uh, search engine that searches across all the wikis out there that are public? Because um, that, be, that, yeah, that would be pretty good, I think. That would be interesting. Um, no. I mean, I think you could probably, at Google, you could probably type your search term and then site colon wikipedia.org, site colon wikia.com. That would get most... Not all of them, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good idea. And what what's your plans with that? Like, are you going to eventually? Are you just going to keep growing that? Are you still heavily involved with the company? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm somewhat involved, but I'm not. Uh, so we've got a CEO who's in California and staff, and I'm. I'm. I'm involved mainly in helping promote it and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm a member of the board, but I don't have any day to day management responsibilities. Um, actually, I don't have any day to day responsibilities at all. So. Um, you know, I'm, it's pretty independent of me at this point. So I just sort of go to the board meetings and cheer everyone on. They're doing great work. And, uh, yeah, I, so current plan, just keep growing. We just raised a bunch of money uh, doing a joint venture in Japan to try to grow the Japanese site and things like that. And you're, you're also very active on Quora, which in some ways also reminds me of a – I don't want to say it's like a for-profit Wikipedia because it's not as comprehensive. It's not an encyclopedia. But it's a way for anybody – to log on to a site and contribute and provide answers and help people. Yeah. And the accuracy is unclear, but as more and more people get involved, the accuracy gets better and better. Mm. And it's a for-profit company, but it acts like a not-for-profit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because one of the things I think Quora has done a good job of is that they have a general tone and attitude in the community that's pretty nice. So it's, there's, I mean, people get in fights everywhere, they're human beings, but generally speaking, you'll see people, you know, somebody asks a question, somebody answers, and, and then somebody comments on it, and usually the comment is not, you're a fucking idiot, you know, and usually the comment is like, oh, you may have overlooked this, or also to consider that. Um, and it is interesting because it's sometimes people say, oh, does it compete with Wikipedia? Like, not really, it's a question and answer site. Most of it's about 
um, evaluations of opinion, uh, which are perfectly valid. I don't mean mere opinion, but, you know, things like, I mean, I just answered a question recently, something like, um, you know, if I had $50,000 to spend on a car, why would I buy a Hyundai? And I said, hmm, well, I own a Hyundai. So um, I, and I said, and a lot of the first answers were sort of why you wouldn't buy a Hyundai. Um, and I said, well, no, they asked why you would. So let's give all the positive bits of that. And, um, you know, it's just fun because then people responded and it was just a nice conversation. And it, it's kind of a, there's so many nasty places online uh, that it's nice they've been able to, to manage that. But that, it's a good example of a site where there is a lot of gamification, which I basically just ignore. So you get credits for people uploading right. their answers and, and you collect the credits. And uh, interestingly, I don't think they have a leaderboard. So I don't think you can... No, they don't, specifically. Credit. Sometimes people ask the question, who has the most credits? And then somebody wrote a script to sort of hunt through the site for high-ranking people or whatever. So, you know, as you say, humans like to do that sort of thing. Uh, but for me, it's a good example of like, okay, well, there is this point-getting thing, but I didn't really care. And, and you can set your price to answer. So if I wanted to get credits, I would just boost my price up. But actually, I usually keep it set to zero unless I'm really busy. I do as well. Yeah, because I just think if I don't like your question, I won't answer it. And if it's an interesting question or fun, I won't answer it. I don't care if I get any credits for it or not. Like, what's the point? I don't even know what the credits are for. So, um, so yeah, uh, and, and I like it. I, I like that you never know who's going to pop up and ask you a kind of a funny yeah, there's a lot of fascinating people on, on Quora who have signed up. Now, on, on Wikipedia, what would you say have been uh, the most intense battles? Like, have you had to get involved in kind of uh, disputes on Wikipedia? Yeah, I mean, I'm always involved uh, in policy and um, sort of trying to help with disputes and things like that. But I mean, in the in the categories themselves or in the topics yeah. themselves? Yeah, I mean, really, really tough ones um, are, are usually about things that are a bit possibly surprising to outsiders. So people assume we're going to have a big fight about um, George W. Bush or something like that. But, you know, that's actually pretty straightforward. You know, we know what it means to be neutral. You're going to have to say some of the criticism, say some of the praise, make sure you've got everybody covered. It's not that hard. Um, The hard things are really like um, editorial matters, sort of matters of editorial style. So, um, you know, debates about... um, Oh, there was a big, big argument about the M dash versus dash, um, which is a, there's two different kinds of dash characters. And if you're a real, like, you know, font geek, it really upsets you when people <laughs> use the wrong one. That's funny. And then, you know, there was a whole sort of brawl about that. Um, there's, you know, arguments about, um, you know, fairly arcane matters. Like, what do you call, well, this is one of the classic ones, is what do you call the rivers in Poland. Most of the rivers in Poland are known in English by their German names for historical reasons. This is very upsetting to some Polish people. And and there's some evidence that that's changing, that the mainstream sources are beginning to sort of refer to the rivers in Poland by their Polish names. And so when do we change or how do we do that? How do we refer to that? What's the right style? Could there ever be like a vicious cycle, though, where editors are just constantly deleting each other's stuff and then it goes on forever? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things there is uh, British versus American English. Hmm. Um, and there, you know, I say our, our basic rule I always say is please relax. Um, but there's more details to it. Like, don't just, I mean, first and foremost, don't just go around changing from one to the other because it's just annoying to everybody. Like, if that's your life's mission, to fix Americans' bad way of writing, just don't do that, or vice versa. And 
if an article's been started using one language version, unless you've got a good reason, just leave it that way. But then there's things like topics that are quite specific to that country. So if you know if you're writing about um, the British labor unions in the 1950s, probably you just want to have British spelling in that article. Why not? It's a mainly British topic, and most <laughs> of the people who are going to be expert on it are speaking British English. So we have a diversity there. And it usually doesn't erupt into too big of a quarrel, but sometimes you get, um, you know, sad little fights about stupid things. Now, it, it seems like, you know, Google is really, in many cases, just the middleman between the human and the information they want to get, which is on Wikipedia. So if I want to know about Jimmy Wells, I type Jimmy Wells into Google, but really I'm, I'm going to Wikipedia to read about Jimmy Wells. I mean, you're the you're the number one search result, I think, in about sixty percent of yeah. search terms, and then you're number two or three probably in the yeah. in the rest. So, so kind of a criticism of of Google is that Wikipedia is the real search engine in most cases, and uh, uh, it seems like, given that's the case, and given that there are so many businesses built on top of helping people optimize their sites for Google, I'm surprised there's not more businesses built on top of the idea of uh, helping people optimize their sites for Wikipedia. So Mm -hmm. for instance, um, and I've seen some marketing companies do this to optimize their clients for their Wikipedia pages, make sure they're mentioned on a lot of other Wikipedia pages. Mm -hmm. So there are some business models there. I also think there's an education business model. Like if I could tell my kids, don't go to school, just read 10 Wikipedia pages a day, and I want you to edit one Wikipedia page a week, that's enough school you have to do. I think they would get a better education. <laughs> that might be. I don't know. Well, on that first point, it's something that we do. We struggle with a lot because there's a lot of that kind of behavior goes on that's really quite unethical, and um, including a lot of lying, pretending to be someone you're not, etc. Yeah, because there's the, there's a trick of, of uh, if I mention something on, let's say, Huffington Post, now I have a citation, which I can use on a Wikipedia page. Like, that's the kind of classic manipulation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it depends on what, where it is on Huffington Post. If it's just your personal blog on Huffington Post, that probably wouldn't be much accepted as a source. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, if if people want to influence Wikipedia, their their best bet is to try and influence the news. Um, and the best way to influence the news is don't do bad things that get reported on. But um, yeah, but I mean, I do think that there is room for companies to do things that don't happen nearly enough um, to enhance uh, their Wikipedia presence um, without being unethical. I mean, one of the one of the classic things to do is you know, get some really good photos of your CEO and release them on your website under a free license and then just ping the Wikipedia community saying, hey, you don't have a photo of my guy. This one's under a free license. Do you want it? And then people go, oh, yeah, sure, great. So now, oh, you've got a nice photo there. Um, and, you know, so there are a lot of things like that. Uh, certainly, um, you know, people who are um, have some kind of assets, uh, pictures, photos, product photos, that sort of thing. Just release them under free license, and we might not use them, but we might. And in the meantime, if we do, then, you know, it makes a nicer presentation. Um, so there's that kind of thing that people can do. But a lot, of the, a lot of the people who are in that business of trying to help people with Wikipedia are really selling snake oil in the sense that basically all that somebody should have done is just emailed Wikipedia and said, hey, there's something wrong with my entry. Okay, we'll look at it and we'll fix it. You know, it's very simple. Um, instead of having to pay someone to create, a, you know, 30 fake accounts and pretend to be who they're not. And it's 
just don't go there. It's like really bad place to be. What, what about the idea of making a curriculum, uh, like a MOOC around uh, Wikipedia content? Because obviously you have probably better, better or more up-to-date information than many colleges and high schools. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a, some, some really interesting things to be done there. So, um, you know, if you, if you think of a topic um, that you'd like to know more about, I mean, for many of us, you know, Wikipedia is the first port of call. So lately, I've been slightly obsessed with Ebola as it's been erupting and so forth. So I ended up reading not just, uh, you know, we have an article about the 2014 epidemic, but we have the article about Ebola virus itself. But I, what I, I didn't go any deeper than that because I wasn't sure where I wanted to go or whatever. And if there were a MOOC where somebody, you know, it's sort of a five-hour lesson, an hour you know, five one-hour sessions where before each session, the, you know, the biology professor who's presenting it says, here's your prerequisites. You've got to go read these four Wikipedia entries um, and this um, article or whatever, a couple of other things. Great. And then I go and I watch the video, uh, which is them sort of explaining something, but I've got enough background in this. And now I've brought you up to the point where, you know, uh, you know, it's a hemorrhagic fever. I need you to go read the article on hemorrhagic fevers, and we'll talk tomorrow about that. Uh, everybody's worried about, is it going airborne or not? Okay, well, here's five entries about methods of transmission of viruses. Go and read that, and then we'll have a discussion about that. That sounds really cool. I mean, I would do that. I would spend five hours doing that, plus the extra several hours reading the Wikipedia entries. And it would be great to have that kind of guided tour in a way. Yeah, and it seems like you could actually modify Wikipedia to add kind of like FAQ or prerequisites or, I mean, a Wikipedia yeah, page I mean, could be written there, that way. There are some things, we, we don't do a lot of that, but there are some interesting things like uh, we, we'll say, you know, this article is a part of a series on um, the UK government. So if you go to the House of Lords page, there'll be a sort of info box on the side. This is, this is part of a series, um, you know, the monarchy, the House of Commons, you know, da, da, da. Court, Supreme Court of the UK, etc. And so we do kind of say, oh, here's a group of articles on a topic. If you're trying to learn about the UK government, here's a set of, I don't know, 15, 20 articles that you might want to read. That's kind of nice. So, so in some sense, Wikipedia is like open source, universal information. Where do you see this kind of going, or just in general, the, the future of the internet? And you've discussed this before, but like, where do you see this all going? Like, what's, what's the next steps? Yeah, um... Well, I mean, I think some of the next steps are going to be invisible to most people uh, because it's the growth of Wikipedia in the languages of the developing world. So you may never notice, you know, what's going on in Kazakh Wikipedia, but it's going on there. And that's you have more Wikipedia pages now in other languages than English, I think. Um, English is still number one, but yeah, mm -hmm. by far. There's about, I haven't looked recently, four and a half million English and 30 million total. Yeah. Um, and the percentage of Wikipedia that is English has pretty much always been in decline. You know, in the early days it was 100% because I set it up in English first mm -hmm. and then it started declining. And then there was a point when it was no longer 50% and no longer 20% and so forth. And yeah, because because of the rise of all the other languages. And so what else can we open source out there? You know, what can be the next kind of Wikipedia? You know, there's sort of like an open yeah. source for code. There's now this open source for information. Yeah. Do you ever see something like uh, an open source identity? Uh, uh, you, know, you know, sort of like how Facebook is a for-profit company mm. for identity connection. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a, a not-for-profit way to open yeah. source that. I mean, people have tried. Mm. Um, you know, there is the, the open ID stuff that people have been doing um it's successful as a standard but it hasn't been successful in terms of there being some kind of distributed 
identity network <clears throat> that allows you to easily sign in and say, oh, this is who I am. Um, simply because I think Facebook had the resources to get there first. So, you know, it's very common now if you go to uh, lots of blogs and you want to leave a comment, you have to log in using Facebook. Hmm. And they made it really easy. You just go click and then I'm on and then it's fine. And it, it doesn't 100% verify your real identity, but it's pretty good. And that's all you really need. And so that complex sort of idea of how would we do it in a distributed way or a nonprofit way never really got the chance to happen because actually Facebook works pretty well for right. that sort of thing. I think that when I think of that question, what are the next things that could be done in an open source way? Uh, one of the ones that I'm really interested in, and I've been talking about it for a long time and it hasn't happened, so maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it's just not time yet, is um, production of video and in particular animation. And there's some rumblings of this online now. Um, but the idea is, let's say that I'm, uh, I want to create uh, an animated film to compete with, um, you know, the best uh, Pixar, something like that. So maybe I've written a script and I think it's pretty good and some people read it and they go, yeah, that's really good. Could I get together a community of people? <clears throat> some are artists who can draw. Some have experience with rendering software. We could put together all the pieces. Somebody programs how the bird flaps and what are the open source. So there's Blender, which is open source software for doing this sort of thing. There's a Blender community. I think they're bubbling up into doing some interesting things. But so far, I haven't seen... I mean, the Blender Foundation, which is the sort of nonprofit that manages the Blender software, they've done some really cool projects, but they were really done in a more or less traditional-ish way. Got like, you know, 100 people working on it. Um, lots of volunteers, lots of freelancers, but it's, you know, it's kind of a core group and they're directing it from the top and they got funding to do it so they can pay for certain elements of it and so on. And they've produced some very nice shorts, you know, 15-minute uh, movie that's hmm. every bit the quality of a Hollywood animated film. But we haven't seen sort of like five of those a week being created in the same way that we see um, Wikipedia, Wikipedia entries being created or random, you know, funny meme pictures being created. It's always going to be harder, but I just think there's a really interesting possibility of folk culture coming. Um, and, you know, possibly rather than somebody writing a script and doing it, maybe you just start out with a script that already exists. Let's do an animated uh, version of um, Hamlet um, and just do a fantastically rendered uh, Hamlet. And it's something everybody can understand what it's supposed to look like and somebody organizes it and, and truly done in a community way with no money involved. And at the end, you sort of release to the world this uh, three-hour masterpiece of the, sort of the greatest animated Hamlet ever. Seems like Wikia could, could start to do stuff like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, or I, or I, rap genius also could start yeah, to get into yeah. that area. I mean, I think I think it's to some extent it's gotta it's gotta come from that community, and it will bubble up from that community eventually. You know, group of people get together, and I mean, part of that has to do with things like um, the 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 speed of computers and rendering software. Do you need a, a render farm of hundreds of computers? Well, actually, these days you could just go to Amazon. Yeah, uh, you know, EC2. I mean, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, but not that much to get a hundred computers for a couple of weeks. Uh, everybody could chip in a bit of money to to do the rendering piece. Or um, as computers get faster, you just you do it at lower quality. And you know, there's just lots of things that it the pieces are starting to fall into shape. Even like you know, sharing. Okay, yeah. So we've got a rough cut of the film. Everybody go download it. It's you know, four gigabytes. Well, in the old days, that was like a really kind of pretty heavy thing to do, but so was downloading a movie from iTunes, and now that's quite routine. So the more people who have fast enough bandwidth to upload and download, you know, if I, if I take a picture and I want to send you a picture, I just 
I send, you know, here, here's a, here's a picture. Um, if I've got like an hour and a half long movie, I don't just go, hey, I've just emailed you a movie, you know, um, just, you know, click on it and watch it. No, you, it's a big process still. That stuff is going to, you know, it's faster and faster bandwidth. It just starts to go away. I'm, I'm always trying to think of like business models, given that, uh, so, so this is one type of model, given that Wikipedia has gotten so huge, uh, you're suggesting maybe some ways of having multimedia parts of Wikipedia where you can upload like a script and then people can do different things or even rewrite or, yeah. you know. I mean, I think for Wikipedia, some of this is fairly limited. I mean, I, I think making animated films is uh, mostly about fiction and so mm -hmm. forth. But, but do, you know, there's like fanfiction.net, which, which has yeah, yeah. like a Wikipedia-like feel to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I just think we're not done yet. I think, mm -hmm. I think right now uh things are bubbling up that so i mean this is so in, encouraging people to think about this particularly young entrepreneurs who are you know may feel like oh god everything's been invented already on the internet is to think about this you know i just went on sort of a random chat about animated this and that and the other so all everything you needed all of the technology to create wikipedia existed in 1995 and twitter and yeah, yeah 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 twitter's another all, all the biggest as yahoo everything yeah um <laughs> And what we didn't have is the, but, but I'm going to focus, Twitter's, I've never made this analogy with Twitter, but I'll have to think it through. But with Wikipedia, you know, the wiki existed, the software already existed, um, you know, in a basic form, but it was there. Databases, web, you know, everything. But it took six years for the social construct to be invented, really. Like, how do you organize people? How can people organize themselves? What are the conventions you need to be able to make an encyclopedia in this way? So similarly, I think, all the pieces of the puzzle are there for doing a collaborative Pixar movie. Uh, but nobody's managed to get the social bit. Nobody's managed to organize a group and figure out how do you do that. And I mean, I do think a big part of it is uh, the free licensing. Uh, because, you know, nobody, you know, if I say, hey, everybody, I'm going to make this fantastic movie, who wants to volunteer their time? And then at the end, you think, and then I'm going to sell it to the theater, you know, I'm going to make a billion dollars off a Pixar movie and not share the proceeds back. That's making people upset. And even, in fact, if there are going to be proceeds, it's hard to like. How do you come up with a formula for contributions and who, how you're going to share it? It just it drives you in the direction of the firm, you know, of of starting a company and hiring people. Right. It's a valid way of doing it. But instead, with free licensing, you just go right. It's completely open source. Anybody can copy it, redistribute it, modify it. We're going to create all the assets. We're going to create the characters. We're going to make sure that the character, you know, the the modern day Winnie the Pooh, is not owned by the person who created it. I mean, there's an interesting thing. There's a. Have you heard of this uh, Slenderman no. character? No. So this is a, it, it bubbled up from, I think from Reddit or maybe from another, one of the image, uh, anyway, I think it's from Reddit. Um, so it's a, it's a folk legend by a group of people who set out to create a new folk legend. And a lot of it has to do with editing old photos and, and putting this kind of frightening looking guy. He's about eight feet tall, hmm. always in a dark suit, dark glasses, normally near children and it's all kind of creepy and he's way off in the background and the pictures are actually kind of cool and there's stories you know uh child goes missing and and everyone reported that they just saw slenderman in the background how do you spell slenderman s like slender man okay because he's tall and slender and it's actually as i understand it it's a play on enderman which is uh, one of the monsters in minecraft huh. i don't really know why why that started but it, oh, no, maybe the Enderman is named after Slenderman. I think huh. that's what it is anyway, something like that. Uh, I'm not an expert in this area. But what's interesting is it became it's become quite popular as a meme online, and there's a lot of fan fiction and stories. 
And now apparently Hollywood's gotten interested and somebody wants to make a Slenderman movie. And the question is, who owns the rights to this? And because that community was very casual about it, it's just a bunch of people goofing around online. It turns out, I think the guy who initially created the character and the word is claiming ownership of it and actually has done some legal work or something. I don't know all the details. Mm. But the point is that it's causing a lot of angst in that community. That's something they thought was ours commonly, that we're all playing around with this idea and its folk culture. Turns out somebody owns it, and that feels weird. So, I mean, I think the next iteration on that, people say, actually, let's be really careful to make sure that when we start doing this as a collective project for fun, we're going to make sure everything's under a Creative Commons license, that the basic framework, uh, legal framework is there so that we can keep it as folk culture. So, so... So let me ask you, so you you just came from the UN. Obviously, uh, you're not, it doesn't seem like you're totally hands-on on any one project. There's Wikipedia, there's Wikia, there's your charity projects. Uh, what do you do all day long? Uh, every day is kind of different. Um, I you, you travel a lot, right? I travel a lot. Um, when I'm in uh, London, um, I, there's a certain type of day I have, which is I go in and I work with my assistant for a couple hours going through emails and like things and planning. And then I send her away and then I, get, I do work online with the Wikipedia community mainly. That's what those days are like. So, so sorting out issues uh, yeah, at the yeah. high level of Wikipedia? Yeah, just you know, talking to people about mm. ideas and, and quarrels. I'm, I do a lot. I do a lot of different things. So every day is different from every day, which I which I really like. And um, well, not every day, but many days, I see a post from you, and I'm a massive fan. And oh, read, good. <laughs> and there's always a dramatic hook at the beginning, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And I set aside some time and I read sort of your latest thing, uh, and I really like it. And I think uh, I see my assistant, uh, the one I normally send away after two hours, waving at me that I have to leave in five minutes. So I wanted to take a minute to tell your fans a bit about what I see before me. So he's got. Like a notepad, like anybody yes. would. To a waiter's pad. But it's a waiter's pad. It's literally a waiter's pad. Tax total. Thank you. Please come again. He's got questions written. And I think I saw you say the other day you keep a waiter's pad. You yeah, because I, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of that with the tax yeah. and tip. I just thought I thought it was just a white. No, because think about it. You can't write a whole novel on this, right? So if you're if you're if you're taking notes, you could only write bullet points. Yeah. There's um. There's lines. There's a tables at the top. Yeah. So if I'm sitting in a conference room, I can kind of write the names of the people around the tables. Wow. Uh, and uh, it keeps me focused on, on what I'm thinking. And if it's only 10 cents a pad, it fits in my pocket. Amazing. So it works. It's a good, it's a good little life hack. There should be like a life hackpedia. There should be, actually. I'm, I, there might be something like that at Wiki. I don't know. It's a well, good idea. Well, what's the... I actually used to have this idea for a Wiki, and I've never managed to actually pull myself together to try to start it. I thought it would be cool to have a site. I think it's, I actually owned the domain name for a while. I don't, I don't think I have it anymore. Spyskills.com. It's not about murdering people in poison. It's just like cool stuff, right, that James Bond would know how to do. Uh, so, so suppose you're suddenly... You're, you're, you're seated in a helicopter and you've got to fly. What basically do you need to know? I just think it's cool. So. I could have used that when I was getting divorced, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, what's what's your biggest thing? What would you like to promote? Do so you want people to use um, Wikia or keep on using yeah, Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a phone company now, the People's Operator, uh, but we're only in the UK, so it's a bit early to promote to everybody. But 10% of your bill goes to the cause of your choice. 25% of the company's profits go to charity. Um and the only way we can afford to do that is by cutting out the marketing spend. So we say to you, look, you can sign up with 
Virgin and they'll spend a huge chunk of your money on TV ads and billboards. Or you can sign up with us and we'll send that same amount of money to the Red Cross or hmm. whatever charity you care about. And then in return, what we want you to do is sign up your friends and family. Uh, so it, it, it's doing very well in, in, in the UK and we're planning to expand globally, but um, we're not there yet. So uh, I'd also to promote it really. I'd also encourage people to think of how to use Wikipedia in education because it yeah, seems yeah, yeah. like you were talking about developed countries. It seems like a lot of places where there aren't schools, there's still Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. so this is a school unto itself. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. And uh, I once I was in India and I was in Sangam Vihar, which is a squatter mm. um, area in Delhi. So the people living there, uh, it's it, it's on its way to being normalized now but at the time they were just squatters and they were there but they've been there for decades so nobody was about to kick them out or anything but there were no schools and there were the the parents create local private schools so anyway i met this young man in the street whose father owned the private school there and the dad was there and so forth and he said oh wikipedia amazing you know he's like i used it to pass my um my 11th form exams uh and i also use it to find pickup lines for girls yeah, so there's a lot of uses of Wikipedia that you discover. Education. That's the beauty of an organic community. So, well, right. thanks very much, Jimmy, yes, for, for joining us. Jimmy Wales, founder of Wikipedia. Right. Super. Oh. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.